welcome everybody. Hopefully everybody's having bless you. <laughs> Hopefully everybody's having a great time. Um, so in, if you've been following the podcast, actually, if you could raise your hand, if you've been listening to the podcast, awesome. Okay, so you, 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 for those who have listened, I've mentioned that there was some exciting news coming to Nancy's case that's been in the works for a while now. And I'm going to turn it over to Art, and I guess, Art, what you could do first is introduce yourself and tell us your background and, and all of that. Uh, my name's Art Roderick. Uh, I've been in law enforcement almost 40 years. Mickey here is just catching up to me very quickly. Um, uh, I spent uh, three years as a U.S. Army MP, three years as a local police officer, 25 years as a U.S. Marshal, a couple years over at the Department of Justice, and seven years at Homeland Security, and I just finished up three and a half years with... Um, CNN is a law enforcement analyst. Awesome. And, and our, this is something that we've been talking about for a while. It's just yeah. this opportunity that's coming that's, that's new for CrimeCon and something that this, this is the first time that we've ever done something like this that when I talked to Kevin about this, I was extremely excited about the opportunity. And we're not going to go all into how it's going to work, but I'll let you explain uh, where we're going with this in, in CrimeCon in 2019 in October. Right. And basically, this type of deep dive that we're going to do in a particular case came out of CrimeCon. And I think what happened was they looked at a lot of the information, feedback from people that attended. And a lot of people wanted to do like a really deep dive into one particular case over a weekend time period. So the most difficult part is picking the case where you can get all the players together. And on a lot of occasions, it's not that easy um, because you might have some conflict between law enforcement, uh, the family, and in this particular case, we have everybody together, which makes all our lives so much easier when you're doing a deep dive into a case like this. So we have the family here, we have law enforcement, we have James is a podcaster, and we have the doc on the end who's going to be really integral in, in coming up with the, with the information we need to do the profiling part. But again, we're not sure what the format's going to be yet. We're working on that. Uh, I think if you just stay on the website... Uh, you'll see the updates that come up for, for CrowdSol. So uh, we're really looking forward to it, and we hope this starts a trend of how we want to do these deep dives into cases. Yeah, and it's very it's like a very unique way that we're doing it too. And, and again, I, don't, I can't go into all the details of it, but it's, you know, it's something that we've never done before. And uh, I'm looking, I'm very excited, especially, you know, for Sam, you know, and Bill, right. Mandy, the family, to be able to have this opportunity so something to, to stay tuned in to and, and going to the website and looking at how they'll, I think they'll eventually explain exactly how we're going to do it in Seattle. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff what Kevin's been able to do here at CrimeCon because of you guys, really, honestly. So for those who don't know much about Nancy's case and, and what we're doing and, and all the, you know, the details of it, I want to take a second, you know, before we uh, go into explaining all that just to share everybody's background who's who's a part of the podcast who's working with Nancy's case so I actually will start to my left uh, Dr. Maurice Goblin you want to explain your background and, and what you're doing with the case okay uh, my name is Dr. Maurice Godwin I came out of law enforcement I spent four years in uh, small town nurse law enforcement um, I got multiple degrees uh, five degrees, degrees from a Ph.D., two master's degrees, one in forensics and uh, behavioral science, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in criminology. And then um, 
I started getting into working missing person cases and cold cases, and I've been doing that for 20 years. And what got me into this field of uh, the podcast and stuff is my 12 years that I spent on the Tara Grinstead case with Up and Vanished. And, that, you know, that case has moved on now except for the trial because our podcast solved it. So now I'm here to do the same thing for Nancy's case, and I'm glad to see you. And then to my right, go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Sam Moyer, and I'm Nancy's daughter. Awesome. Go ahead. Hi, I'm uh, William Moyer. Uh, Nancy and I were, were married for over 10 years, together for uh, about 15 years total. And, uh, yeah, I think we're, we're thankful for the process right now. Awesome. I'm Detective Mickey Hamilton with the Thurston County Sheriff's Office, and I'm the third detective to be assigned to this case in its 10-year span and the most recent detective to be assigned to it. And so I want to kind of explain to those who aren't familiar with the case exactly what we're dealing with and the challenges that that Nancy's case presents so you guys can have somewhat of an idea of what we're we're dealing with. When it was uh, March 6, uh, 2009, it was a Friday morning, and Nancy's getting ready, so the time is around 7 a.m. Nancy's getting ready, and uh, Sam and, and Mandy were at Bill's house. They would always go to Bill's after school on Thursday. Nancy's getting ready. Uh, she heads off to work where she worked at the Department of Ecology for 12 years. She's on her way there. She picks up another gentleman that she would carpool with. Uh, they head to work together. It's a normal Friday. There's nothing you know that you know odd that sticks out about this day when they speak with coworkers. And we fast forward to the end of the day. Uh, it's five o'clock. Nancy and this gentleman are leaving, and on their way home, this gentleman said, you know, Nancy, and I quote, she said that she planned on unplugging the phone and chilling out. It was, she really wanted just to relax. It was, that, that was her plans for the weekend. And this is really kind of where the time starts to become an issue because when it was, you know, 530, when, when she eventually got back to Tenino, it was about a 25-minute commute, but when she got back to Tenino, uh, where she went from there, we don't really know. Uh, but we do know that at, she checked out at 7.15 from a local grocery store. Now, to understand Tenino, you got to understand that it's, it's, the population is 1,700. So it's a very small town. You can get from one side to the next within two to five minutes. Uh, so she checks out, though, at 7.15, and she's by herself. The, the people who worked at the grocery store said that they didn't see her with anybody. Now, for her, for her to go from the grocery store back to her house, that would have been easily a three- to five-minute commute. Now... There's a police officer who says, I saw Nancy when she pulled up to her house. She was unloading her groceries. She, and he even recognizes the bags that she's unloading with and the labels on them to say this is the store that she was you know, going to uh, or coming from. And so as she's unloading the groceries, they asked this officer, what time did you see her? And he was running radar next to her house. He says it was around 9, 9.30. Now that, that time, I mean, where was Nancy from 7.15 to 9.30? We don't know. There is, this, there is a possibility where this officer maybe ballpark guessed the time frame and he was off maybe by two hours. Um, I don't know. I've never had the chance to interview with this man. Uh, but Nancy's at home and she's relaxing and the time is now 11.15 and the neighbor who lived next to Nancy said he was going to bed. He was actually playing video games and he was, he was going to bed and then he overheard a female voice say, hurry up, get in the car. 
and then he hears two car doors shut and the vehicle drives off. He remembers thinking that was pretty odd and, and even mentioning it to his wife the next day, thinking hopefully everything's okay. He actually had thought that Nancy was taking Sam and Mandy to the hospital, but you know, he, he remembers looking over at Nancy's house the next day, just wondering if everything was okay. Fast forward through Saturday, nothing happens. Nobody comes and goes that the neighbors can recall. Fast forward to Sunday, the time is now 5, 5.30, correct, Bill? That's about right, yeah. Okay. So Bill heads back to Nancy's with his two daughters, and he, they arrive to the house, and when you walk up on the porch, what did you notice? Well, the first thing that we noticed when we walked up to the porch was that the door was open just a few inches, and, and that, that's odd in itself because that time of year, it's, it was still cold. In fact, that particular year, we were below freezing at night a lot of nights. In fact, there'd been quite a lot of snow and, and, and there was light snow on the ground at the beginning of the weekend and heavy snow by Sunday. And, and so the fact that there would have been a door open made absolutely no sense. And, and so at that point, we went inside the house and, and uh, there was nobody home. You head back from your, you, you, didn't you hang out for about 30 minutes, you know, hung around thinking maybe Nancy went for a jog or for Yeah, a I think, um, you know, there, she, there was neighbors that she knew there and we thought, Maybe she'd gone out and talked to a neighbor or was, uh, you know, on a short walk. She would walk the neighborhood, and, and usually she was back very quickly. So we did wait around, in fact, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, and, and then, then it was very odd that she didn't show up because the car was in the driveway. We know she hadn't gone far, or at least so we thought at that point. And she, she never missed a pickup or drop-off? No, never. Girls. She was always there. Um, you know, we'd been separated over a year, close to a year and a half, I believe, at that point, and and uh, no, she was always on the spot. So the fact that she wasn't there at all was strange in itself because um, she was very punctual that way. And so Sunday evening, you went back three times, really, yeah, to, to see if she would return. And eventually, 9 o'clock rolls around 9 p.m., and, and Nancy's obviously not home. And then the um, family decision was to let's give her 24 more hours and see if she comes back or through the night and see if she came back. Well, by, yeah, by we morning. figured, well, okay. Well, maybe someone had picked her up. Maybe she's at a friend's house, or maybe her phone was not operational or gone dead, or who knows what. So he said, all right, we'll, we'll give it till morning. Sure. And then in the morning, same thing. Nobody there. No, nobody's there. Next morning, that's when you, you attempt to file a missing person report. That, that is correct. And in, yep. Unfortunately, at that time, with Tenino Police Department, uh, there was a 48-hour waiting period. So technically, you needed to wait till March 11th to file the missing person report. Yeah, and that was, a, that was extremely disappointing for us because, um, you know, the people we had talked to, you know, even then they said, well, wait a minute, the first 24 to 48 hours, is, it's critical. And, and they just, they would not allow us to go any further in the process. There's even a show called 48 Hours because of how important yeah. that is. Right. And something that I found out that was a little bit odd was I had actually looked up to Nino Police Department's uh, their policies on handling missing person cases and, and they had actually just changed that you didn't need to wait for 48 hours to follow up or to file a missing person report they'd actually changed that on February of 2009 so literally a month before Nancy went missing so whether you know that was still something that they you know oversaw or, or, or just were still in the protocol of the old policy I'm right. not sure lack of training perhaps yeah, yeah. who knows um, it's my belief that, that March 11th, when the neighbor overheard a female voice, and, and in my own investigation, I know it's my belief that, that Nancy did go missing on March 6, 2009, because when, when 
the door was left open, which it remained open the entire weekend, uh, they looked at her heating and they, they realized that it had stayed on and spiked the entire weekend, so that door never shut. Now, there's some more things uh, that, you know, from th that happened that weekend that we're going to hold off on just because there's an event going on in Seattle that I can't go into. Um, but I think it's important for us when we go through these, these podcasts or these true crime stories is to remember this is a real person. And, and when we listen to it or we watch it on TV, sometimes we can have that disconnect. Uh, but why don't you, you and Sam touch on a little bit about, about who Nancy was as a person and as a mother. Good. So I, I'm not sure. My mom was a really good person. She loved cats like me. Um, and she always made sure that she, uh, that me and my sister Amanda were the main priority. She didn't bring any guys to her house or anything like that when we were there. And she just tried to make the most of the time that she had with us. Yeah, and, and I would say, honestly, Nancy and I had been together, like I said, close to 15 years at that point. Um, truly, we'd, we'd actually started dating when she was in college. And, and she graduated from uh, Central Washington University with an accounting degree. And, and I was working for a, a company in Olympia and ran, in, ran the shipping department. And we actually had purchased our, our second home at that point in time. And... Uh, we'd sold our house in Olympia and thought, well, we'll move out to five acres in the country and we'll build a house. And, and, it, and it was all pretty good at that point. And, you know, so kind of the, the things we had planned were coming to fruition. And, and then we'd been there a, a period of years and we started seeing some minor changes in Nancy's behavior at that point. And, but everything was generally good. And, you know, up until then, like Sam said, she, she was a good mom. You know, Nancy had done a good job with the girls and you know, and she was a good wife. She was very supportive, and and uh, a lot of people kind of viewed us as a, you know kind of the ideal couple at that point in time. And all of our work events and things, everybody saw us as kind of wow, we'd like to be like them. And uh, up until that time yeah. when things changed. And in, in, in coming here, I mean, when I originally reached out to Sam and I asked her, "Hey, can I interview you for this podcast? I want to do this." Was something I I mean, this is the first time I've ever done a podcast, but. Sam was like, yeah, sure. And then she asked me, what's the name of my podcast? And I said, I don't know yet. And she said, okay, I'm not going to interview with you. But, you know, for you guys to come here, and, and even for myself, this has kind of been a journey. I didn't know where we were going to go from here. But how has right. the experience been like for you guys with just CrimeCon itself and, and, and the support and the people that you've interacted with thus far? It's been crazy to see how many people are actually like listening and interested in the case um, and how many other people that are out there that have similar stories that I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and I mean, just like Sam, I was a little skeptical at first and I thought, ah, podcast, I don't know, but um, but then again, I don't know much about the podcast arena and, and I, I've actually been shocked at actually kind of how valuable it has been and um you know we found that it's reached a different audience than i think we thought it would reach and i don't even think james himself knew it would lead to going to crime con or certainly not what's going to transpire at the seattle event but I, I agree with sam i think it's um it's been somewhat therapeutic for us in a way and we we've talked to a lot of people that that have reached out to us and and, and have said, you know, we understand what you're going through. And I, I think that's been very good. Um, and we, we have felt a lot of support. And 
I think sympathy in seeing that there's a lot of other people here that although their case is not necessarily the same, um, there is a lot of other people who are going through things in their lives that, that we can relate to, even if it's not the exact same type of situation. You know, it, it's heartening to see people come together and kind of disheartening actually to see how many people have challenges of their own that they're trying to work through. You guys have always taken advantage of any kind of media outlet that's always been willing to tell Nancy's story. I mean, from you had ID, you had Crime Watch Daily. I mean, you, you guys have always been active. What's the biggest difference between, in your opinion, that you can share on the difference between a podcast telling the story and... Well, you know, it, it has been interesting, James. Um, the media platforms that we've used, um, you know, and, and we appreciate all of them, honestly, because they've all done a good job at telling the story. They've each told it in different ways. We, we've been on all the ones you mentioned, along with Washington's Most Wanted, along with most of the local news channels in Washington. And um, early on, I believe we were on Good Morning America and did a, a nationwide feed um, the first week. And, and, and so all of that has been very useful. And each one of them, I think, also had their own challenges. Um, one of the things that is, has been kind of fascinating about this format is, um, and I think even James would say, he doesn't know exactly where it ends. Uh, when you're talking about a, a television show and your one segment, maybe your segment is a half hour. Uh, or maybe you've, in one case, we had the full hour. We, the whole show is dedicated to us. And, and that's good, but those people are also confined by, by those constraints. And so they have to be able to take your story, and then they have to be able to edit your story and, and make it work for how their show is. And, and that's a good thing, but it also forces them by, by nature of the process to leave certain details out. I think this process involves a little more freedom where James can follow it through to some sort of a natural conclusion and where all of the other processes, there's a set time limit. Well, also in the shows, they tell the story of that everyone knows of what has happened, but with mm -hmm. the podcast, he's continuing it. He's finding out new leads, new people, and everything he's continuing the case yeah and i think you know again i, I appreciate all this you know willingness from your guys's part to to talk to me even when i don't have a podcast out yet you know, I know that that was a little difficult and hard to hear at first is because it was you know you're trying to start something and when you reach out to family and they say mm, we're not going to talk to you it's like all right well i'm just going to stop now <laughs> that's what it felt like you know um but i would like to you know turn to you maurice about you know, what kind of perpetrator are we looking for in this? I'm going to be uh, not totally in depth, but I can be brief. Uh, you're basically looking for, um, and, and I've worked out details of the perpetrator uh, based on information that's been made available to me. Now, there's additional information that's not been made available to me that may make this change, but uh, I, I doubt that. Uh, you're looking at a, um, a white male age 31 to 35. You're looking at someone, uh, there's lack of a better term, you look at someone that's disorganized in his behavior, in his crime scene behavior, and that translates to his daily routine habits as being disorganized. You're looking at someone that drives just a functional car, 
not any kind of thing that's fancy or anything. You're looking at someone who works at a menial job, menial jobs, labor jobs, um, construction jobs. And that, uh, because of that, uh, he, the pay and stuff, he would not be uh, driving anything flashy. You're looking at somebody who is, um, carries around rage, anger, and hate for females. Uh, you're looking at somebody that is sexually sadistic. Now, uh, he, ha- he has sexually sadistic tendencies, and he's a narcissistic uh, person. Now, when you combine those two just in, in the behavior of one individual, you could be those in, with an individual that's separated. You could be narcissistic and not be sexually sadistic and be sexually sadistic and not narcissistic. But when you combine those two, you have a walking time bomb of a person who vents their rage on women. And, and that's what you, you're dealing with in this individual. He lives a alternative lifestyle, in my opinion. He lives an alternative lifestyle that gives him an out to vent these rages in a subculture of most likely sadomasochism and bondage and discipline. In your opinion, geographically, where, how far should we be looking for Nancy? I would say in the terrain and the, the, uh, the mountain area that's around her house and everything, I would say you're looking at five to six mile radius surrounding her home that that it's likely that her body would be found in. Now that now that's not like saying five or six miles from where you live at, because when you say f- five or six miles from her in her, her area, with the way the Pacific Northwest, right? Right. That's pretty dense uh, trees and rivers, and a lot of times snow, and so that's different than where I'm from in North Carolina, which five or six miles be just open fields. And so uh, I would say that you're likely to find her five or find bones five to six miles from where she uh, resided at. And one of the things that stuck out to me about this case uh, when I started investigating it very early on, I've been, I've been looking into this case for almost a year now, was when, when Bill and the kids entered Nancy's house, the lights were on, the TV was on, her purse was inside, her keys were inside. Um, you know, there was a wine glass with red wine and there was a second wine glass that was empty. But what sticks out to me was not just, naturally I went to the wine glass and the, and the one was filled with red wine, but women don't leave their purse behind if they're leaving. Uh, that, that, that's true. Now in the Tara Grinstead case, her purse was not at home and her car keys was not neither. But, uh, I know what happened to that. The, the perpetrator stole it. But in this case, her purse was left behind with the door ajar. That means that she was, uh, she either went willingly and, and never got a, the, the opportunity to escape, or she was a, a abducted and taken control of when she got out to the car and, and never had the opportunity to go back in, in, into the the house so that's the reason why her purse is still there she never had the opportunity 
to go back on the porch and go to the door. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we, we talked about that before where there was possibly, possibly some sort of like ruse on getting her out from, because one, one of the things was, was that she had, you know, she would go on the porch and she, would, she had a chair she would sit in and she would have, you know, when she would smoke her cigarettes and her cigarettes were still in the chair and people don't leave their pack of cigarettes out on the porch, especially in the climate where it's wet damp that mean it ruins your cigarettes so for her cigarettes to be there her purse her keys doors open lights on tvs on for the neighbor to say he overheard a female voice say hurry up get in the car and he heard two door two car doors shut do you feel she knew the individual i think i think um uh i think the individual i think she likely it was acquaintance i don't know how well she knew the individual i think she got off the porch and, and went to the vehicle and was snatched, overpowered and snatched. Yeah, we always, uh, we always kind of felt the same thing, that it was likely someone she knew, not necessarily a close friend necessarily, but Nancy was always kind of a trusting person and, and maybe too trusting. And I, I don't know that she would have had to have known anybody. Maybe two or three meetings would have been enough if she felt comfortable at that point. And they said, hey, you want to That's take right. a ride with me? I'm not sure she would have said no. So I think that is a possibility. Yeah. And one, th- one thing for you, Sam, that you can, you can you know, confirm is, is that Nancy didn't bring guys over. No, not at all. As far as yeah. when they were home. Yeah, I mean, you that, never. That's correct. And we established that as a rule, and I always felt like she followed it. That, um, you know, like I said, we'd been separated a year and a half, and as far as we each other was concerned, what each of us did was our, was our personal business. But um, she was, I felt, very good about making sure no guys in the house when the girls were there. And that was a hard, fast rule. And I, I never felt like she gave me any reason to believe that I couldn't trust that. Yeah, and I think uh, kind of like Sam, when I first started this, I mean, if you're a guy who's trying to start a podcast and you call Thurston County Sheriff's Department or any Sheriff's Department, you're going to kind of, they're going to ask you, are you a journalist? What are you doing? Okay, well, this is what I'm doing. Okay, sorry. We're not going to cooperate with you. We're not going to give you case files or evidence and anything like that. But uh, because of CrimeCon, and I was working with the uh, second detective, uh, his name was Detective Elkins, uh, and I've worked with him quite a bit. Uh, he was very cooperative and was willing to uh, share with me you know, what he knew of the case, and he had been reassigned back to patrol. Um, but what I'm very excited about with CrimeCon and, and the success of the podcast because of the listeners and you guys is uh, I'm excited to introduce this next gentleman uh, to my right. Mickey, if you want to introduce yourself? I'm Detective Mickey Hamilton, Thurston County Sheriff's Office. And what's your role in this case today? Um, I've, I'm the third detective now that's been assigned to this case since 2009. So that's about my role in this case. Mostly it's been trying to catch up. I mean, it's a huge case file. It's complicated investigation. I've been going through it and familiarizing myself with it and all of the things. So there's been a ton of work done on this case up to this point. I mean, Detective Elkins, um, there was another Detective Hamilton at Thurston County before me, which confuses mm-hmm. things, but uh, right. he did a ton well, of I work thought, on I it. maybe you were his son or something. I would like to say that I think it's fantastic that you are here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know that um, James had a little bit of trouble at first getting access to the case file because the media and law enforcement don't always have the best working relationship. 
and uh, I laugh with detectives. <laughs> yeah. So it is amazing that you're here. Yeah, and so that's what I was going to say. Not because of any part of my. I want to any... take a picture and make it last longer. <laughs> <laughs> He's got hard feelings over here, which is why I put him over here, not next to you. But no. Yeah, no. It's it is amazing that you're here, and and. So I think there's been a shift um, since. James has been working on this case and generated some interest in it because our ultimate goal for everybody, the sheriff's office and James, is to solve this for the family, to bring some resolution to the family. And we've been working on it for 10 years. Um, we've had assistance from the FBI. We've had assistance from private investigators, psychics, just about anybody that you could think of that we could turn to to try to give us some kind of a, a lead that we could use. And we've kind of hit a dead end, so this podcast ha- has generated a new a new approach that we that the sheriff's office has now agreed to participate with, and uh, see where we can go. Because again, any any lead that w- can help, we'd be more than happy to have. Yeah, and it, it kind of just goes back to for the people that are here. I mean, this is why it's it is what it is. I mean, for CrimeCon, for people that are here to support. I mean, what's that like been for you guys? I mean, just that support that you guys get, Bill and Sam, it's, I mean, it's been 10 years. Yeah. And, I mean, now to have all these people come up and say that, you know, they, they give their condolences, I mean, how, how is that for you guys? I, go ahead, say. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, no, actually, I think it's been great. Um, you know, I, I, I think uh, this is a different group of people and I, I think it's what I found so far it's a very open-minded group of people and for that that that's refreshing because uh we haven't found that in all instances and and so I, I think it's very nice to see a group that maybe doesn't prejudge the situation as much and and is, is willing to take a very open-minded look at what's going on yeah one of the one of the things that I also mentioned when when I've been doing this podcast was that there's one specific individual who it was a year after Nancy disappeared, who murdered a gal in Tenino. And again, it's a very small town, so does lightning strike twice? And, you know, in this small town, unfortunately. And uh, this gentleman, his name was Bernard Howell. And in the fashion and form that he murdered this gal by the name of Vonda was, I mean, it was, it was bad. It was gruesome. And I know, and you can confirm this, uh, Mickey, uh, is that the first detective, when, when he murdered this gal, how he got caught was the gal was in his vehicle. He'd asked somebody to help bury the body, and you know it was a very odd, very weird type of situation. He wanted to spare the family of funeral expenses and just bad. And so he eventually gets arrested, and and then uh, they convict him. And that's when Detective Haller went to work and started, you know, cross-referencing the, the evidence and realizing that uh, there was some meat packaging. In Nancy's freezer that you did you come across that uh, bill when you were cleaning out Nancy's house did you see that or was that Sharon? no I actually I'd known about that before I was uh, I was over there one weekend uh, either picking off or dropping off the girls because um, one of the things that Nancy would do um, you know I worked for a, a wholesale nursery and ran the shipping department at that point in time and so during the spring you have to work Saturdays and so at that time of the year you know she would um, you know, if I needed to work four hours on a Saturday, she'd watch the girls. And she was like, great, I get some extra time with the kids. And, and she'd asked me to get something out of the freezer, and I'd open it up, and I was like, it's full of meat. Yeah. I thought, this is weird, because Nancy at that time had almost gone vegetarian. And so, but, but to see her uh, with a 
steaks and all these other things in the in the freezer and I even I kind of made a joke about it I was like I was like are you turning over a new leaf I said I thought you were almost vegetarian and and she goes well I got a good deal on them this guy sold them door to door and at that time that was kind of all we thought of it until later on yeah and uh, that was that was some of the evidence was when this guy had murdered this gal he was a meat salesman at that time and his packaging happened to also be in Nancy's freezer and uh, that was something that you know when they start when Haller started asking questions to this gentleman I think he first went to you right and he asked if he put a lineup of 10 different males and he said do you recognize any of these men right and your response was that one yeah (laughs) Yeah. and so for uh, Bernard they went back to him and they said hey you know how do you know Nancy Moyer and he's like I've never met her and you know they they continued to uh, ask him questions and eventually he just you know folded and didn't want to talk anymore and and Mickey, I don't think anybody else has ever investigated him, correct? Or at least he's been uh, willing to speak with. Det- yeah, Detective Elkins reached out to him in prison again when he took over this case, just trying to generate more leads or maybe he was more willing to talk eight years after the fact. And he declined to talk to us at that time. And so I, I, in, in my episodes, I said that I was speaking with someone who was close to him. And, you know, I was writing him emails and trying to see if he'd be willing to talk with me and I wasn't getting a response, and eventually I got a, a message from his sister. And we've been talking for quite a while since really, you know, since this, is, this all started. She started writing him some letters, and she hadn't spoken to him for quite some time. And eventually she dropped the question, have you heard of this podcast guy? And he's doing this story on Nancy Moyer. And uh, we finally got confirmation from him when he wrote her back and said, yeah, I'm willing to meet with you and him. Uh, let's have a conversation. And so, I mean, that, that's been huge because that's something that we've been working for quite a while. And once I submitted my application before I flew here, uh, he, he accepted it. And so that's something that we're planning on doing here pretty soon and something I can release uh, as soon as I get that interview. But uh, it's exciting to kind of see the progress and, and the fruits of the labor that you need, the work that you put in. We'll see where we go from there. Um, but, you know, at this point, what we do want to do is open it up to anybody who's been listening, who has uh, questions. If you, if you have a you know, specific question as far as the podcast goes, we'll go here and then there. Well, first off, I just want to say you guys are doing a great job. And Bill and Sam, this is my sister, and I can speak for her, too, that we hate it for you guys. And Sam, you I mean, Bill, no offense, but Sam, we've yeah. just really been on our heart since we saw you yesterday. And actually seeing you in person is... Thank you. It makes it Thank you. Tough. Yeah, but my question is, the neighbor that heard the female voice, did, were they sure it was Nancy's voice or was it just a female voice? Because I'm just wondering if someone could have, or if it was another female or if they didn't know it was her, if someone could have like lured her out saying, oh, there's an emergency or some, some reason why you would leave quickly like that. I, I had actually interviewed with him and I'd asked him, you know, um, can you confirm it was her voice? And he, he thought it was, uh, but he, there's no, he couldn't say today. And even then, Mickey, you can answer that. But he, yeah, that was a course. Confirm it was her. That was, was a, a question that we had for him, of course, from the beginning. And his thing was, well, I didn't get up and look. He didn't get up and go look to see who it was. That was his just him, his impression. Um, and at the time, you know, it didn't seem weird to him. So he just heard 
a female voice outside who he believed was his neighbor, and he continued doing what he was doing. Yeah, and so it, it's a, I'd say it's a strong impression that he had, which sounds like is what he told. Well, uh, I know one of the things that we wondered about back then was, um, you know, if, if whoever this was, and assuming maybe it was potentially more of a casual acquaintance, and maybe she didn't really want to get in and have whatever discussion was going on, but finally she, she said, to, just to shut him up, fine, let's get in the car, we'll take a quick drive, and away they went. Yeah, they're, they're, in, in, in my own investigation, there have been, you know, multiple suspects, and that includes some females that I, you know, I try to stay away from speculation in my, and that's how I choose to do it. Uh, I don't want to create something that's not there just because sure. I want view count, you know, but there are some females who won't talk to me, you know, they, they, they refuse to, and so... And again, there's going to be more that comes with the Seattle event that I will divulge then. But, you know, as far as today, I just can't go into that. But it's a great question. That's yeah, something I I've just, thought. I have some ideas in my head about that. And then, you know, it, it kind of makes more sense or you can take it further. If he's like, well, it was just a female's voice because I know any of my female neighbors, I'm going to know exactly who that is if I, I hear it. But, I mean, maybe if it was a muffled. I don't know. But yeah. I was just that's something I've always thought about because then I think you can yeah I mean other questions and speculations of my own I'll just wait yeah. and see I don't want to add mm. anything I, I would love to add more but, to that but Kevin yeah. Kevin was like hey don't talk too much about oh sure the, yeah, the, no, the I stuff know, that I do yeah, want to say know, no 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 I, but, was just, yeah. I just wanted to try to confirm that yeah yeah it's a great question I appreciate it. thank, thank you. you so thank much you thank you all right uh Maurice do you prefer Maurice or doctor no you call me Maurice yeah all right um, Call me Mo. Okay. Yeah, Mo. That works too. Yeah. Uh, I was going through your checklist of uh, some of the things that you uh, pointed out about what this offender might might look like, or uh, and when his behavior. Going, his behavior. And when I was going through that checklist, it occurred to me that this guy who had murdered someone in that town uh-huh. kind of fits that profile really well. So I'm curious, first of all, like how you. You know, do you think that that matches up pretty well with that? Some of the behaviors do, but um, but I don't I don't think it's him. I think it's more somebody act, that's active in a uh, in a um, alternative lifestyle. I don't think this guy would was into that. That's all I can say. But we're gonna get really in deep into it in in Seattle. But that was a good question. Can't say any more, Maurice. Thanks. That's it. And then I'm itching to add one more question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Detective Detective Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, I was curious. Like, I do think it's amazing that you came. Um, You hear all these stories about the lack of cooperation between investigators and the people who are trying to find justice that are outside of law enforcement. And I'm curious what the behind the scenes looks like when you as a department are making the choice of, is it okay for you to come to this? Like, did you guys have a meeting about this? Well, before you say, before you answer that, I want to say, you know, a huge thank you to Art, especially, you know, because Art's in your background, you know, we appreciate because you're a big part of this process and and for Mickey as well. So, um, go ahead, Mickey. Go ahead. So, yeah, it's a very multifaceted um answer and it's a decision that's case specific 
because every case is different. And, you know, we've been burned. I'm speaking law enforcement as a whole has been burned before for giving too much information too fast. And we've been burned for not giving enough information fast enough. So you have to weigh those decisions. And I work for a great sheriff that is very common sense about things. And so um, initially, uh, I know that James had been frustrated because he was getting redacted reports. And there was some conversation between my sergeant and I because Detective Elkins had a difference of opinion about the information that should be released or shouldn't be released. And um, we said, well, we're not going to give him anything we haven't given other media sources because that's just not fair. I mean, it's just, it makes sense. Um, but then uh, Art got involved and came to our agency, and I don't know who he talked to there, but someone way above my pay grade. Yeah, someone way above my pay grade made some decisions, and then I was told by my supervisors that now we're going to be participating and it's okay for you to say whatever you need to say about this case and it's all you know basically cooperate and they funded your truck absolutely wow. yeah, yeah. It's, right. it, it is pretty amazing because even though uh you might make these phone calls and talk to the right people um they're basically open in their file which is absolutely amazing so that's why i think seattle's going to be really cool as far as information yeah. Yeah, i mean it's a tricky thing it, yeah. so a little bit of history on this case it was a missing person case obviously until uh, detective elkins took over the case and then he had a change from a missing person to a nobody homicide investigation which is semantics right we're just changing the name the case hasn't changed at all but that changed the resources that became available to us through the federal government and the fbi and things like that and other people and um but now we have an open homicide investigation we're going to give over all of our files and evidence it's kind of tricky because it might hamstring prosecution later on uh hopefully not if that if we develop a suspect and we develop probable cause and things like that but again it's about trying to bring some resolution to the moyer family more than anything and so that's why i think that the bosses have decided that we're going to participate and i think you know the, the thing that people don't understand is it's key moving from a missing persons case to a homicide to some type of case of foul play uh, because missing person cases are sort of a gray area for law enforcement um, you know you don't have a crime scene you don't have a really a crime that's been committed an adult person in, the, in this country can legally go missing you can just up and leave uh, and not let family members know. In this particular case, obviously, there's something here that just doesn't make any sense. And well, and I have to say, that the family was actually pleased to hear that they had reclassified the case because we, we were actually aware of the fact that Thurston County's hands were somewhat tied by Nancy still being listed as a missing person at that point nine years later. And so um, so we were actually pleased to see that development. and. And um, then when I heard that Thurston County was actually sending a detective, and I, I, I hadn't yet did, met Detective Hamilton, I was, I was actually very surprised and, and, and pleased to see that, that Mickey is here. So those are all very recent developments that wouldn't, wouldn't have happened even two years ago. Yeah, believe me, I tried to get Detective Elkins here, but uh, his schedule <laughs> wouldn't allow it. But he just has right, you know, right. vast experience in this case compared to me that I'm reading things that he's already done. So. Thank you. Yeah. Um, not so much of a question, more of a, I guess, an acknowledgement that, first of all, James, you know, commendation to you because, but not for your interest in this case and perseverance, hitting all the headwinds you were and all the negativity of shutting you down, you persevered over that. And as a result, we have a whole panel here today 
that is slowly leading to a, a hopefully a resolution for the family and for everybody because it's not just their loss it's as a community our loss so uh, because of your your efforts um the detectives and, and art who are taking their time and their energy dedicating it to it also because of your efforts uh james um I and also the, the new concept that you guys are going to be rolling out which i'm vaguely familiar with and when you're ready to roll it out from what i've heard it's fascinating potentially revolutionary yeah. in, in how investigations are going to be looked at and hopefully resolved and perhaps hopefully become a normal way of investigating cases that are going yep. to achieve a lot of uh, closures for families like yours. Yeah. So I think you've made a big impact here and I think everyone should stay tuned and, and really look forward to that, that, that manner that you guys have developed on investigating a case in a very unique way that's, that's going to be exciting. So uh, I'm looking forward to the updates and seeing when you guys are going to start letting us join that, 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 uh, that endeavor. Yeah. So thank you to everybody. Thank and, you. And thank, you. With your thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I appreciate you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Arnie. I'll slip you a 20 after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay you later. Uh, we'll here then here. Um, first of all, Bill and Sam, I just want to thank you for your strength and being here. I mean, Sam, I was once a teenage girl. I can't imagine like, what you're going through. Just thank you for yeah, thank you. being so strong. Um, Maurice, I, th and this is just a yes or no question. I understand you can't really talk about it based on what's coming up. Can you get up closer to the microphone? Thank you. You said that you, this person is between 30 and 35. Yes. So does that mean, yes or no, you have a specific person in mind? No. No, 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 because that's not what a, a behavioral profile is about. Behavioral profile is is supposed to assist law enforcement is when they bring somebody in and and they take that they're supposed to use the help from the the the, the, the criminal psychologist or the profiler they're supposed to seek help from them rather than trying to do it all themselves but when they bring somebody in that they think might be in, in, might be a suspect in this case um, then you go over that person's background a history and stuff and see if that person f fits the profile that is written about the, the, the case and, um, and that's how that works so a profile is not written to fit uh, 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 one individual and see, that's why a profile is never supposed to be uh, developed uh, once you target a suspect, because that's not the way you're supposed to do it. It's supposed to be developed when you don't have any suspects in mind. Thank you. That's okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I misheard this, so I'm just clarifying for myself. You want um, and then my my yeah, question right. would be um, kind of an add-on, but regarding the wine glasses. Yeah. So we said there was two wine glasses. One was empty. One still had wine left in it. Yeah. Um, and then um, my question would be: I'm sure that was all right, um, checked and yada yada. Uh, yeah. Yada. So was there anything? Found really, there was three. She had one in her bedroom, but oh, the okay. two that I was really focused on were the two that were in. Uh, I, I thought it was coffee table. It was the kitchen counter. Was that right, Mickey? Yeah, I was in the kitchen sounds somewhere. Right. I can't okay. remember which surface it was on. That, that but sounds right. Yeah. Okay. 
And so I felt that the two glasses that were together were more, they, was, they were significant to the fact that there was actually uh, red wine in the one that she was drinking, and then there was an empty one next to it. Right. So would there fingerprints? Yes, and so all that stuff was submitted to the crime lab for analysis, and so far all the prints that we found were hers. Just hers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, I, I can say uh, Nancy and I were married for lots of reasons. Uh, her housekeeping was not one of them. So. <laughs> okay, I just didn't know yeah. if that had any significance. Yeah. And, and one question with that, Mickey, that I'd like to even ask you right now. Um, the second glass that was empty, can you confirm that there was, it was only Nancy's prints on, the, on that glass? Yeah, Nancy's prints were the only prints found in the house. So we weren't able to find any other prints or at this time, you know, DNA evidence or anything else to put anybody else in that house. Okay. Yeah. And, go ahead. Yep. So I just had a question. I don't know if you guys had addressed this or not, but... Um, we heard the story of the neighbor the, who heard uh, a woman, possibly Nancy, but have you guys investigated, because um, I don't think this was discussed, uh, other neighbors around who may have heard something where they interviewed? Yeah, I, I've spoken with uh, just about every neighbor around Nancy's house. Um, no one ever, no one else heard anything. Um, other than that neighbor that I spoke with. Now there was with Nancy's layout with the with the parcel or the home, she had, you know, her house and there was a garage and from what I know is you can actually rent the garage and if you didn't there was a little studio connected to the garage. I haven't spoken to that neighbor who was technically on the same parcel. But in the report that I got with deciphering the redacted names and trying to figure out who's who, um I've never heard of that, that gentleman ever claiming to have heard anything. Again, that during that time, someone would have been, they needed to be awake at least past 11 o'clock to hear this. And if that guy was sleeping, it was, it was, it's just the one neighbor that has ever heard anything that I've ever spoken with that can confirm that it was a female voice. Um, now, I've spoken to other neighbors around Nancy's house that there's some other connections there that I, I won't go into yet, but... Uh, yeah, to answer your question, I have spoken with them. From a law enforcement standpoint, yeah, Detective Howler and Detective uh, Hamilton, not myself, the other one, did a canvas of that neighborhood at the time. The family did some canvassing on their own, talking to everybody, trying to find out if anybody saw anything. And then Tonino Police Department, who is the originating agency, just a kind of a quick breakdown how that works. Tonino Police Department's a very small agency. Their current manpower is a chief and three officers. So um, she lives in their jurisdiction, but any of their major cases usually get turned over to our office for follow-up, and so that's what happened in this case. An officer responded, took the initial report, and then it was assigned to Detective Haller, and the sheriff's office took it from that point. It would be like the 11th, so the day after it was reported to Tonino. Okay, that's it. I appreciate you guys coming out. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully we'll see you in Seattle.